players gather to represent powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful instants in the history of Magic the Gathering. High Tide, Predict, Flusterstorm, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in passive-aggressive turn-passing, they all have one thing in common, uphold their legacy and search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanra on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. All right, I probably have to stop here, otherwise we get like a DMCA copyright takedown notice. Welcome to episode 38 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Midrange Wars. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Phil, you sound so crisp. Did something change? Uh, I think it's called puberty. It's weird. I'm still waiting. <laughs> Brian, how are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited for Midrange Wars because if we've learned anything from the original trilogy and the the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy, the middle episode's always the best one. That'll get some people fired up. <laughs> actually, right. so we're, we're uh, continuing this joke. I didn't even mean to do this, but today is actually the anniversary of the release of The Last Jedi. And this morning I retweeted like the, the Star Wars holocron uh, thing that i follow and i said happy birthday to the second best star wars movie feel free to debate in the comments and then i turned off comments for the post so <laughs> because i don't want to hear it it's a fact it is second only to the empire strikes back i'm a rogue one person myself um but that's kind of a hot take i suppose rogue one would have been so much better spoil alert when the giant like wave is coming to murder them instead of like hugging and kissing or whatever they do. If she just turns and goes, I hated you the entire time. And then the light beam hits and murders them. I would have like stood up screaming like, hell yeah. Like you don't have to throw a romance story in that movie. We didn't need it. Yeah. Uh, like it, it's weird. Cause I genuinely liked rogue one as like both a, a movie consumer and as a star Wars fan. Uh, one of my, one of my friends, I've mentioned him on the, the cast before he's a movie critic and i get a heavy dose of film twitter just because i follow him as my friend in real life and like critically people hate rogue one which is weird because i liked it i don't know uh and uh like the only one like like i think solo actively sucks and i think uh the the last one whatever it was called <laughs> actually sucks like the the one that followed Last Jedi. It, it's a real shame that Last Jedi never got a sequel, to be honest, because that movie was really good. So I love Solo just because I'm a huge Donald Glover fan. Uh, I, I I understand that the movie like isn't that great. I didn't like spoiler again, um, Darth Maul coming back, and I actually really liked the first like uh, third of the movie, like the Han Solo backstory. Like that was amazing, like trying to get off the planet or whatever. And then like after that, the tone just changed completely. Like you could see the multiple director issue happening in real time. So my my big beef with Solo Story was it was obviously a like uh, 
fan servicey flip on the last Jedi. And by fan service, I don't mean naked ladies, uh, which is apparently a a ver- a definition of that. Phil, you watch anime. I would say that is, in fact, the most common definition. Yes. Uh, so I don't mean naked ladies. I mean the whiny, trolly, basement dwelling people who can't handle a, a, a good story in their Star Wars frame. Solo story was for them. Uh, I... So I enjoyed watching Solo. It was like plenty of Star Wars sights and sounds I could put in my eyes and ears. And I will always take as much of that as I can. But like, I don't remember what happened in the movie at all. Like, I just remember like, like, what's your last name? I don't have anyone. Your name is Solo then. Like that. And I was like, oh, that's fucking lame. But uh, that's the only thing I remember from the the entire movie. Uh, Maybe Chewbacca was in prison or something. Is that where they met? He was like farming mud. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Like it it was just not memorable beyond like the the two hours of like elevated heart rate you get from watching lasers get shot. So Maeve from Westworld and Woody Harrelson didn't carry it for you? Oh, Woody Harrelson was in that movie, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I love him. I remember Woody. I love Woody. I like Donald Glover too. Like I, I, so there was a. Uh, during like the first COVID shutdown back in March, uh, my work was trying to get us engaged with each other from home, and they did like a spring scavenger hunt thing, and like in teams they would send like a daily email like your team has to send pictures of these objects by the end of the day to get points, and one of them was a uh, a a replica of a musician, and. I did not have like a Beethoven bust or anything around my house uh, because I've never owned a piano and you need a piano to put that something like that on. But I did have a Billy D. Williams Lando action figure and I did the like degrees of separation. I was like, okay, this isn't a musician, but Donald Glover is a musician and he plays a younger version of this character. And I got the points. <laughs> Phil's just like, can we please stop talking about Star Wars? But no, Phil. Uh, going back to fan service and not, I don't mean naked ladies. Um, the Mandalorian recently, I mean, I watch it every week and I saw a bunch of people complaining on Twitter about, like, you know, we said we wanted uh, Boba Fett, but we didn't actually want him. You shouldn't have given us what we wanted. You should have known better. No, then shut your mouth. Don't scream for two seasons that you want Boba Fett. They finally give him to you, and now you're going to complain it isn't what you wanted? Shut up. Yeah, and I I loved the, like, Star Wars meme that, like, one of the most beloved, most recognizable characters from the show, all he did was fly into the side of a boat and get eaten by a pit. Like, he, he went out like a bitch and, like, never came <laughs> back. And I kind of thought that was hilarious that the entire, like, lore, the entire mystique of Boba Fett was just, like based on nothing (laughs) but now he is actually in the show he's a recurring character and he's a badass and i'm like okay like i like it but i I was fine leaving that alone this is what i get for making a star wars joke in the intro (laughs) so some of you are there for that some of you aren't there for that whatever it's what you get you're used to this bullshit in our intros by now hopefully so brian what's going on in life um well not a whole lot i gotta be honest uh uh, I, I am still in COVID shutdown, and uh, I I don't remember where we were during the last update, but uh, my work has been shut down for about a month and a half now. And but they've moved from like we're going to close for a week and a half. Okay, another week. Okay, another week. Now it's just we're closed indefinitely. We'll let you know, which is uh, 
I will at least I enjoy the peace of mind of that where I don't have to like stress that I'm going to get pulled back to work in this bullshit situation. But like, so that's cool. And I, I've been like, I'm going to talk about it in the magic updates more, but I've just been using all of this home time to up my YouTube game. Uh, I haven't noticed. Yeah. Right. Uh, we'll talk about that more. Uh, but so I, I basically just been watching TV like, uh, like Ashoka came back in in the Mandalorian. We're back on Star Wars. Phil, get fucked. So uh, Ashoka showed up in the uh, in the Mandalorian, which made me want to rewatch Rebels because uh, uh, the the Mandalorian girl from Rebels is also in the Mandalorian show now. So I'm just like Sabine. So I'm just like rewatching Rebels, which is perfect because it's a kids show and like it, they're like twenty minute episodes. Once the commercials are cut out, and it's just like. The perfect, like, oh, it's lunchtime. I'll watch Rebels. Rather than, like, what I'm used to watching, like, where I'm locked in for a solid hour. So I'm, I'm re-watching Rebels. Um, my, my girlfriend has been seeking out, uh, like, romance thrillers for us to watch uh, at night together. And I, I watched The Undoing, which was an HBO show. Uh, it starred uh, Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. And it was actually like a pretty compelling murder mystery with some like psychological twists and stuff. I like that a lot. It was a six episode miniseries, totally doable. I'm currently finishing The Flight Attendant, which is uh, Penny from uh, Big Bang Theory's new show. She she stars in it. And basically she's just like this absolute disaster, like drunken party maniac flight attendant who wakes up in bed next to a dead guy with his throat cut one morning in oh. Bangkok. Yeah, and instead of, like, calling the police, she, like, cleans the crime scene, runs away, flies back to America, and then, like, while facing all her own alcoholism and family problems, she's also just solving this, like, international crime ring, like, breaking an international crime ring while being chased by the FBI also. It's it's kind of stupid. Like, I, 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 I kind of have a problem with like broken premises like that like like i love sci-fi so like sci-fi the deal is okay these things are true and we take that to be fact now within this new frame these things are all reasonable like that's cool but i think it is unreasonable that in like the real world this per this barely functional alcoholic who can barely hold a job is like solving crime and and, like i I don't know Uh, that that pulled me right out of it the first third of that was the plot of the night of, and then you were like, and then she flew home and was solving the crime while being chased by the FBI. Everything before that was the exact plot of the night of. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and it's great because, uh, I've mentioned on the cast before that I listened to Conan O'Brien's podcast and, uh, Kaylee Cuoco, is that her name? Kaylee Cuoco? The, the I think so. Place Penny. Yeah, she was on Conan's show this week, and she's his podcast guest this week. And I am so sick of her. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have how, to say. How about you, Phil? What have you been up to? Um, well, magic, 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 mostly. But we'll talk about that part later. Um, basically, right now I'm two point five days away from winter break, and I need it, like. Today was a day where it's like, okay, maybe I'll draft after work. And then I just took an exhaustion nap for like two hours. And and that's just what I needed instead. Uh, work is really tiring right now. 
because like there's always changing sets of expectations and plans are changing all the time like again i love my job i love my admin team but every few days it's like okay here's what we're thinking about now here's what we're gonna try now um and like now we're talking about a two-week like mandatory quarantine for everyone after winter break just to like make sure that the kids aren't spreading everything after going because like i have kids going to disney world right now and that should tell you something about where some of the students are at in terms of like pandemic consciousness they're like "Ooh, i can do this exciting thing i can't do anything right now this is great rather than like this is a bad idea and I could endanger the lives of my fellow classmates, teachers, and all their extended families. So, um, it's gotten tiring, but like with vaccine stuff, you know, imminent, I'm hopeful for a return to normalcy for next school year. <laughs> all right, Bryant, I know you've done some actual real life stuff, so let's flip it to you. Well, I'm going to be doing like an adult thing this week. Uh, I am getting married on Friday. We were supposed to get married back in June and that got postponed to COVID. And we decided that like we don't really want to put it off much longer. So we're just going to do a pretty simple like small ceremony thing. Uh, go to the courthouse to make it official and then later on have a reception party, whatever. Congrats. I mean, it's yeah, it's awesome to at least make it official and, you know. You can have a hell of a rager once this is all over. Yeah. Honestly, part of it's just like I pay so much every month in healthcare, and I only get like partial coverage where my better half works for the state and she gets 100% coverage for way less. So it's also just like the smart thing to do financially. Oh, yep. yeah. You should have married her years ago. Just fired in. I waited too long. We've been together five years. Like week three, I should have hopped on that. Yeah, uh, actually, since that came up, like my girlfriend right now, uh, we work together and uh, we we have health insurance. It's not great, but we have it. But she just had an interview with a company that is still like it's a new company still trying to get benefits sorted out. So if she takes the job, she'd have to get her own health insurance for a little while. And like the idea of just getting married so she doesn't have to did occur to me. <laughs> like we're basically there anyway. What the fuck? So, yeah. and I hate weddings and COVID would be the perfect excuse not to have one. <laughs> I hear you there. I'm so on board with this scheme. So, uh, I don't know, like Brian, you're of a similar age, Phil. I think you're a little bit younger, but we've been rewatching Master of None. We actually just finished it last night and the first season of Master of None comes out in like 2013 and then the second season is 2015. And when she mentioned rewatching Master of None, I'm like, oh, I remember that show. And then we sat down and rewatched the first episode. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. I only remember like bits and pieces. And then we would rewatch episode after episode. I'm like, no, I just don't remember a ton of this. Like, I remember the overarching you know, like theme of the season, but like uh, entire episodes I would forget. And I'm just like, I'm like, I remember my deck list from 2004, but I can't remember like a TV show I watched a couple of years ago. Well, our our brains save the things that are important. Like, if there's something important about a show, like like I like as we just determined, like I know all sorts of Star Wars shit I can fire out from my childhood. But like, I also watch Master of None. Uh, I think he was in Italy for a little while. He learned how to make pasta. Um, he hung out with uh, Busta Rhymes at one point. 
uh, that's true. Who gave him the advice? Don't play the race card. Charge it to the race card. Which, <laughs> although I am white, I really appreciate how clever that is. Like that, I, I remember certain things that are worth remembering from the show. But, but no, I don't remember everything, and I don't have a problem with that. I'm gonna forget this fucking flight attendant as soon as I'm done watching it. Like oh, that would be a good thing. Yeah. I th- <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we'll get to it in a tiny bit, but I played on the, uh, I'm going to use air quotes, that invisible air quotes for the audience, but the Pro Tour. And while doing so, I did an office remodel and I was also recording. I decided that like, I don't, I'm not going to gain anything by uploading these to YouTube. Like they're really just for me and I'm going to rewatch them at some point in the future. But like, I don't want people to be like, oh, well, if you did this, uh, you know, you could have done this, but like, I'm never going to play this format again. So that doesn't help me. Like, I just want to rewatch this one day when I want to reminisce about like, you know, my event. So, but in between I'm painting my office closet. So I was literally like stripping down to my boxers painting. I'd be like, Oh crap. Warning rounds up, put my clothes back on, turn the lights back on, start recording. And I did that every round until it was done uh, being painted. And then when it dried, I put in like new like shelving and stuff. (laughs) So basically we don't know whether or not Bryant was wearing pants for those videos. All right. Uh, I was wearing pants. It, yeah it you might say that but i don't know yeah like i don't care i'm kind of disappointed if you were wearing pants like i i can see you on camera right now it's like from the pecs up like you could have a halter top on and be completely nude under that and it's totally fine the mets well, cap is distracting us all and the last thing i wanted to mention for my personal life update i don't know if either of you two have pets but i have a dog and every year for the holidays, I get my dog actual cow femur bones. Last year, I got him two bones for 20 bucks from like the flea market. But due to COVID, obviously can't go to a flea market. I doubt it's even open. But so I was looking online and I bought one and it was $25 for a single one. I was like, oh, man, I feel like I got ripped off. But then it had arrived. The ones last year were like 12 inches and had a little bit of meat on them. This one is like 18 inches big and has meat all over it. And I'm just like, my dog is going to go to town. And when we opened up the package, we saw his eyes pop out and we're just like, we need to hide this. Like, you're going to wait just like we are. But like, I am so excited to give him this bone. Nice. Yeah. My my parents have had a series of dogs over the last uh, 10, 15 years or so. And we we do go to the, the local butcher shop. If you ever need animal bones, they got a lot of them there. That's kind of what they do. And uh, we would go to the local butcher shop and just be like, what kind of safe appropriately sized bones do you have and we would get like some cow stuff or whatever and uh, yeah that, that's a great gift for a dog all right let's go ahead and transition into donations then um as a generic thank you um last episode was uh, awesome in terms of support people absolutely loved it we were tangent filled um but the people loved it so thank you very much to matthew hackbert philip trivia alex Debose and Jadim, as well as Henrik Korkutz. Uh, thank you all for the support, especially Matthew and Philip. Uh, their donations were quite large, and we definitely, definitely felt the love. Thank you, guys. All right. Um, so let's talk feedback now. I think the first one's directed at you, Phil. So I'll let you take that one away. It uh, is. I, I'll read it to cue Phil up, and then he can answer it. Like, it's a real conversation. I think that sounds fun. <laughs> All right. 
I really enjoyed this episode. I'd love to hear more about what fundamentals Phil's felt he's worked on since grinding more limited and drab. I'm sure it's little things like reading the board and really understanding when to attack, block, etc. But I would love in... Oh my, what is this? Is this a nerd Explain thing? it like I'm five. Oh, explain it like I'm five. It's a Reddit thing. Uh, so, in explain it like I'm five type breakdown. Uh, that's from... Uh, is that just Doug? Or Dukes. Dukes? Do you actually Dukes on say Twitch? Dukes? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I worry because one time I was working, judging an event with a Canadian who had an S at the end of his name, and I was just pronouncing it the S the whole time. It, it was like Roberts or something, and and it, like the whole team called him Roberts the whole weekend, and at the end of the weekend, he's like, it's just Robert. And we're like, well, then why is there an S? It's like, because it's French. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my constant fears. Like, I know just enough about language to be, like, dangerous, and every time a word looks vaguely French, I'm always like, ooh. Is it French or is it not French? Do I pronounce this X? Tough. Yeah. Is that last name Perez or Perez or or neither? <laughs> so the kids, they would say Eli Five for explain it like I'm five. Uh, I only know that from younger people, but yeah, Eli Five. Uh, I have heard that phrase before. I've never seen it abbreviated as such and definitely never said it, heard it, heard the phrase said out loud, like the abbreviation said out loud. All right, well, I'm I'm the young in here. All right, so if I were to try to answer this succinctly and not in, like, a huge tutorial video type way, th at a macro level, the thing that I've improved on the most is just parsing information both during drafts and during games. You really don't realize how much stuff you're missing and just, like, active information that's there for you until you learn more and you realize what you were leaving on the table before. So here's a really common example that I see now that I might not have seen two or three months ago whenever I started doing limited. So it's pick two. You look at the pack. There's three okay uncommons. Uh, let's say they were like all multicolored or something like that. And an okay rare. What common did your opponent take over like an okay rare and three okay but multicolored, you know, com uh, uncommons? And if you think about, like, let's say we're working with the the current uh, Kaladesh Remastered set, you might be thinking, all right, you picked up a Thriving Rhino or an Aether Chaser. Those are probably the two most likely cards that you might be taking over uncommons and rares because green and red are so good and those are just, like, heavy signal cards. And before you know a set well enough and you've dug into it enough to realize that sort of stuff, you just go, they took a common. Or maybe you don't even process that. And it didn't occur to you that to like check the count of like rares versus uncommons versus commons that are in the pack. And there's a lot of that sort of stuff that you don't realize until you've put the work in. And the same goes with like combat tricks. Your opponent makes a weird attack in. If you're a novice, you go, they probably have something. And if you're experienced, you go, hmm. I think they probably have the plus three, plus three, one red instant spell here based on this attack, and I can try to play around it. Yep, uh, that sounds exactly right. Like, level zero is like, ooh, my my brick person next to me passed a rare dummy, and then you slam the rare. But, like, that's so wrong. And then, like, uh, transitioning that skill to constructed, if my death and taxes opponent keeps seven and goes planes go... I am like, okay, they have Thalia, 
or they have Stoneforge Mystic, like depending on the matchup. But like planes go from Death and Taxes, they don't want to do that most of the time on turn one off a seven card hand. So like uh, deducing information from what's not there uh, is a skill that should be getting used and constructed all the time. As far as more specifics go, most of my research and learning came from the Limited Resources podcast, and they have such amazing episodes on fundamentals that I would rather just add their content than produce my own. Like, LSV is so much better at Limited than I am ever going to be, and same for people like Ben Stark, that I should just defer to their judgment. So I am going to rattle off a list and this is more so that you can come back to it later. Um, someone on Twitter, um, maybe Zoller, it's a J and a Z next to each other, so that's a little tricky, um, sent me a list of all the episodes that I should listen to. So for limited resources, I recommend 273, 288, 558, 290, 296, 312, 314, 325, 335, 367, 375, 462, 470, and I'd add 573. I don't know. That'll probably give you like 15, 20 hours worth of listening. That's a that's a good beginning crash course in in limited. That's uh that's kind of the extent of research that I was doing, if that gives you any idea of like the work that I put into this. So you can dig deep. There's a lot there. Yeah, that's I would is also deep. recommend four. Eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. I think Brian's just saying random numbers right now. Though I don't think the they're random. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I was on an episode of Limited Resources once, not as a guest, but as a genius or grifter section. Uh, I, if you're not familiar, uh, Limited Resources does this thing called genius or grifter, where they propose a situation and they determine if that person is brilliantly manipulating a situation to their advantage or if they're just stone cold cheating or stealing and uh i i got a split decision uh louise said i was a genius and marshall said i was a grifter but it, it was marshall louise challenged him and marshall it was more like i just don't want to have to think about that when i'm playing then it was actually wrong so whatever episode that is listen to that one too all right. Um, so the next comment is is really sort of a threefold point from Method Belly. I'm here for the show made of intro for sure. Well, good because you know the first half an hour or so is uh is certainly that these days, and sometimes the first hour and a half, like last week. <laughs> last week was a very special episode. It was hella fun for us. All right, middle point. Given that legacy and vintage can be a bit cyclical, I would support bringing in discussions of historic as long as it's something you guys are getting worthwhile experiences out of. I don't want to play any more historic or talk about historic. <laughs> so if you like historic, I did a series this week. I think the first five will have aired by the time this time is out, where I tested out a whole bunch of the historic decks for just like little half an hour snippets. And that was a lot of fun. Um, Right now, I'm kind of playing Historic as a way to do my various daily events on Arena, and it's it's fun. It's not nearly as deep as Legacy or Vintage, so while we might like make references to Historic from time to time, 
I don't know that we're going to be like gung ho. This is the historic episode until we have a darn good reason to be playing historic. Yeah, I, I probably won't play historic again unless I qualify for the pro tour again. Uh, just I, I like clearing my arena quest with it, but that's about it. Um, like historic, it, it, if anyone remembers classic on Magic Online, it was like before vintage was supported. It was just sort of like, these are the cards available on the Magic Online card pool. Go ahead and play them. And it was kind of, it was like its own thing. It had an identity, but it was kind of stupid and only applied to that one place. Historic is the classic of Pioneer. Like, uh, Arena's working its way back to be pi- to support Pioneer. And right now it's just like this, it's in its awkward teen phase. And the format's not super interesting. Another issue that is, is, it's just so hard to switch decks when you're playing Historic. The only reason I was able to like record a whole bunch of uh, short videos featuring Historic was because there was an all-access event where I could try all sorts of things, and that lasted for less than 48 hours, and I jammed seven videos into that time frame. I played so much Arena grinding for the Pro Tour, and by the time I was done, I had like 14 rare um, uh, wilds. I had like 30 something mythics and then like infinite common uncommon, but like getting rare. Uh, what are the I, I call wild, them wild cards? Okay, wild cards is so difficult. And then the uh, the historic deck that I played was almost all rares. Like I would have to dump so much money in order to buy that deck. And I don't want to spend $300 on a historic deck for a platform I don't really play. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but Arena rewards uh, showing up consistently more than it does particularly winning or playing well. Uh, Like clearing your daily quests, getting your daily gold, drafting every set as it comes out. Like that's how you build your collection. If you do just try to show up and buy packs and shred them for wild cards, it's pretty expensive to get into. And yeah, they need some sort of dusting system. Like every other virtual card game, digital card game, has some way to turn commons into rares or turn rares down into commons, like some sort of system. And the uh, locked rarity wild cards are a huge problem. All right. So thanks, guys, for another fun listen. There are certainly some detours in there. I disagree. On that note, if you happen to have some timestamps, it's immensely helpful when listening on a lunch break from Justice is Expensive on Reddit. I'm going to die on this hill. I appreciate your feedback. It's too time intensive. And to be honest, we have enough going on. I understand the request for timestamps. I really do. But uh, I'm not going to do it. These guys are also busy. So if someone wants to step up and listen to our episode in advance and make timestamps, I won't stop you. But it's not going to be me. All right. There was uh, one yeah, more. I, I just want to add a little bit to that point. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to, uh, like, be rude to the request of timestamps. Uh, if you just want to hear about Hall Breacher, I guess that makes sense to ask for. But if you think about that, uh, Phil Bryant and I sit down for two hours every two weeks, plus, like, planning time. Uh, we pay money to get this thing edited. Like, this, this is not free for us to just put out. And, like, this is our format. Like, this is our content. This is our, like art i mean it, like whatever art there is do three guys goofing off for an hour and a half while you wait for us to talk about hall breacher but like uh every one of us has individual content where we just dig right into the meat of magic the gathering the podcast is where you get to hang out and talk about what everything peripheral to it like wherever it goes so like 
that is the point of the podcast. You you could go read an article about Hall Breacher if you want to. I have several Hall Breacher centric lists posted on my YouTube. You can dig right in. But th- this is for us to hang out, and I hope that people at home when they listen feel like they're hanging out too. So just want to put that out there. And the idea that I would put in extra work so you can skip the that aspect of the podcast, which is to me is the whole point of the podcast. Like, nah, I'm off it. All right. There was one more comment from Method Belly that I want to go back to. Um, My bad. It's okay. I do have one question for Phil since he's been sinking time into limited. Wow. I'm glad that people are actually following that. That's cool. Um, I do want to get better at drafting, but I struggle to muster enthusiasm sometimes to draft standard sets. I tend to find myself fairly unexcited by almost all the cards on offer after the first few picks since I'm so conditioned as a constructed player in terms of power level evaluation, which I freely admit is a fault of my own. So what's the most fun you've been having drafting lately, and where would you say the excitement is for you? If you're not familiar with it already, I recommend familiarizing yourself with Ben Stark's Drafting the Hard Way. Um, There's a limited resources episode on it, or I think there's two or three articles that you can find very easily on the topic. The 30-second, the 10-second version is essentially learning to stay open a little bit longer and reading the draft is critical to your success. It's really more complicated than that, but that's kind of the gist of it. And learning to draft the hard way and learning to read those signals and getting rewarded for it, even if it means taking some risks and having potentially a weaker draft deck overall, is really cool. And it feels so rewarding. Like, you might pick, like, a bomb rare pack one and then another on-color card pack two. And a lot of players would just force it at that point. But if you learn to read the draft and then you go like, hey, this has really dried up, but this color is completely open. No one's drafting it at the table. And then you get rewarded two packs in a row and you end up with this just stellar deck. Every time that happens, I'm just like mentally fist pumping and going like, yes, I did this one right. I didn't fall into traps. And that's really fun. The other thing I think is really cool about Limited is that the games are so unique. You know, you sit down for a match of Death and Taxes versus Snow. You roughly know what's going to happen, what turns are most critical, you know, what cards your opponent has and all that stuff. And it gets kind of samey after a while. But in Limited, the situations are so novel. And every time you draft, you just run into these situations you've never had before, where cards that are normally crap are all of a sudden crazy for your like very niche deck plan, or like you run into these really neat combat math situations. If you start looking for things and you start looking a little more closely at what's going on, there's a lot of fun to be had and a lot of intellectual intrigue. Yeah, I I accidentally talked about this a little bit already when I said just slamming the rare is the level zero draft play. <laughs> Sorry, Method Belly, didn't mean to call you level zero. But what you're describing is like the the bomb rares, the exciting uncommons dry up. Like, yeah, that's the draft. And to add to what Phil's saying, like, even if there is a rare in the pack, those packs where you're like, this rare is pretty good, but I know blue isn't great in this format. I'm going to take Burst Lightning over Sphinx of Jwar Isle. Like that, that's a high, that's like, it gets you high. Like the adrenaline gets pumping. You're like, I know something that is so galaxy brain, like, like a 5-5 five, five flying shroud that like that card is a draft bomb. 
But in the context of, you know, Zendikar, I think that's the format I'm talking about. Like burst lightning is just the cat's ass. Like your opponent's <laughs> going to be dead before they cast their six mana flying creature. Like, and just knowing that sort of stuff, living uh, like in that dialed in specific skill set and every set that comes out, you have to rebuild that skill set because like compare that to like Dominaria, like those two color five and six drops are going to dominate the game. Dominaria, you have to plan, you have to know every card in your deck and you have to like plan for like, okay, there's seven cards left in my deck. If I draw the like Teferi or whatever with at least two cards left, I can't win. I can't lose this game. If there's one or fewer cards, I can't win this game. How can I plan for that? Like that sort of stuff, like the mastermind stuff. Um, At uh, Pro Tour Phoenix this past year, uh, the last Pro Tour that was allowed to be live, uh, I, I teamed with Paul Rietzel in testing, and we both 3 0 our first pods, and Paul told me about this crazy game. It was uh, Theros Beyond Limited, where he realized he couldn't get through his opponent's defenses. He had no way to win the game through combat, but he had one uh, Grey Merchant of Asphodel in his deck, and he had one Minion's Return, which is a in aura with flash, which is when enchanted creature dies, return it to the battlefield. And he had to plan the entire game starting on like turn three or four around getting enough black mana symbols into play to gray merchant, his opponent, and then flash in minions return to do it again, to get 20 points. And he just made that plan from turn three and he won his match. And like, that's the kind of shit that is like so cool uh, to be able to figure out and then execute. Like, Love it. Uh, th there's not really anything in Constructed that compares to that uh, because, like, you can map that out at home. You're like, all right, if my if if Death and Taxes has like Deafening Silence and Thalia and Sanctum Prelate in play, what sequence do I need to win that game? And you can map that out, but you can't map out a limited game like that. I just got really excited and talked for a long time. But no, that was really it, good. it's a good topic. Like that's that's one of those examples where like afterwards after you do something like that you just like want to sit back like and do whatever it is you do to mentally reward yourself like have a beer have a smoke like whatever it is it's just like damn damn that was good for me <sighs> yeah exactly that's like one of those hero moments that like i'm glad there were people around that he could tell that story to because like sometimes you have those and you're just alone in your house and you're on magic online and you're like no one will ever know what a genius i just was and even your opponent might think like, oh, that was so lucky, but they don't realize you've been planning it for 14 turns. Like th those moments, they happen in limited way more than they happen in constructed. Yeah, you totally get to make your own luck. It it's unreal. Mm -hmm. All right. What did Michael Mapson have to say? Uh, I, I want you three to know I'm really mad at you for teaching me about Cameo because now I really want to throw money at it, even though I know I shouldn't. So... The a, a famous psychiatrist once said, when you say should, you should all over everyone. So should is not a word that people want to be using. Uh, it, it just assumes that there's a right and a wrong in this, this chaotic life. And you should stop shooting on yourself and just embrace it. Uh, whoever you want to hang out with, whether it's MC Bad Commander or Dwayne The Rock Johnson, if that's in your budget, Pursue that. Live your life. <laughs> All right. 
So let's go into MTG updates. Um, and the first thing I should do here is probably just talk about a meeting that the three of us had. So last Tuesday, we all sat down to like really talk shop, nitty gritty stuff, you know, video quality, audio quality, all that sort of stuff. Like I identified a video problem that all three of our videos were having and Bryant was able to fix it. And we did a lot of stuff like that with back and forth. Um, so you should be noticing significant improvements on all of our content moving forward. Yep, that was a big deal. I, I, I'd had a few like random people ask if they could get my YouTube content in 1080p. And I didn't even know I was in charge of that. I thought that was a YouTube side thing. I'm like, I'm recording in 1080. Like, I don't know what else I can do. But uh, Phil identified, or I think it was Phil, identified yeah, I, something. I ID'd it, but Bryant figured out how to fix it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Phil like defined the problem and then that gave Bryant the definition he needed to solve it. And like, so I, I realized I was recording in 1080p and YouTube offers 1080p, but my recording software or my editing software in between was knocking it down to 720. And then I resolved that starting this week uh, should be a couple days of 1080p videos available now on my channel. The comments went wild. Like the first day it went up, so many people were like, yeah, 1080p. And I was like, I didn't even know people noticed or cared about this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was one of those things. I didn't know what I was leaving on the table until like I saw what could be better. Like... Just, just like what we were just talking about in Limited. Like, now that I know, I feel like an idiot for not making this change earlier. Like, literally years ago. Yeah, during the meeting, Phil was like, everybody right now take, like, 30 seconds to go watch part of a Saffron Olive video. Just, like, something on MTG Goldfish. Just look at how his cards look compared to how our cards look. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> The funny thing, it was literally one click, literally one click, and I doubled my image quality. So what I got out of this meeting was something a little different from the other two. I'm usually fairly good at like the technical stuff, but for strategy, Brian helped me out a lot. I had, I've had this naming convention for my videos since 2017, where it's always what, uh, what format, what I'm playing. So either a league or a challenge followed by the date. And then a, a, for, a slash, and then the round number, uh, what deck I'm facing, and my opponent's name, and all this stuff. But like, that's not good for the YouTube algorithm. And Brian just helped me clean that up a lot. And then Brian gave some information about like best ways of getting your stuff into the algorithm. Uh, Phil introduced me to tagging my stuff, and it was just very insightful. And a lot of that is what I really appreciated out of that call. So for anyone who hasn't heard us say something like this before, anytime you're trying to get better at something, pair yourself with someone who's better than you. So like Bryant, Brian, and I all have like different strengths in terms of content creation and getting the three of us together at the same time to just talk shop was so helpful. Um, shout outs to other people in the community who helped. Um, Julian gave me a lot of great advice. He's the one who recommended the new microphone that I now have. Um, and I know Min has helped me out, and I think he helped you out as well, Brian. Yeah, Min was great. Uh, I had this weird uh, audio issue that somebody commented that like my audio was intermittently cracking, and I didn't hear it. I posted on Twitter, like, does anyone else hear this? And most people said no, but Min and Julian said yes. And like this guy, uh, or this person, excuse me, this person said, 
they couldn't even listen to my content because of it. And I was like, what is happening here? And it turned out that it's just like a physical auditory sensitivity that this person and Min could pick up. And Julian, because he was listening for it, could hear it. Me even just like dialing in as close as I could. Like I have my thing at max volume, like clutching my noise canceling headphones to my ear. Like I couldn't hear it at all. But we just identified that this like weird thing was happening. And then Min helped me navigate how to fix it. And it turned out the cracking was my breath leaving my mouth on like certain like P and B sounds, like sounds that force air out of your face quickly. And just like adjusting how my microphone was set up, like actually lowering the quality of my mic so it wouldn't catch up, wouldn't catch that quite so harshly was all it took. And I would have never in my life figured that out. But but Min helped walk me through all the steps to troubleshoot it. So shout out to Min. He did not have to do that. Yeah, he has literally spent over an hour helping me troubleshoot some things in the past. Like his his stuff on MinMax blog is really great, but he is also just like such a delightful human being to work with. Agreed. I, I saw him uh, post a uh, post yesterday about like a tech issue that he spent like five or six months trying to solve and it turned out it was just like a loose wire <laughs> and like that's the kind of thing that i feel so hard like he he is obviously so smart knows his tech stuff and but like uh he, he just forgot to unplug it and blow in it like like we all learn that's what you do first right just, just blow in it see if it'll work before you go changing any hardware what is this a super nintendo everything's a super nintendo uh, when when you're in your uh 30s plus if if you were a 90s kid i mean do, do you guys not do that do you not like blow in electronics if they're not working because i always do <laughs> uh the the quiet laughter means that i'm alone here <laughs> it's okay i mean i definitely did it as a kid all but, right um yeah so i i think that kind of hits a lot of our biggest mtg updates so let's just kind of um hit any other highlights we missed so on my end, I just recorded a shops video with uh, David Lance, aka Static Gripped, who won one of the three Eternal Weekend Vintage events. Um, so I'm super excited about that. It was a lot of fun. Um, that should be live by the time you all are getting this podcast. I also played a very silly, like, Chains of Mephistopheles Hull Breacher Wheel and Deal list that was looking to mind twist the opponent while cantripping. That was that was very fun. All right, Bryant, uh, what about you? So I played on the Pro Tour, and I played Blue Black Rogues in Standard and Mardu Vehicles in Historic. I didn't really see any Historic decks that I liked, and then Jarvis recommended Mardu Vehicles because it was like up my alley, and I played it in Standard when it was out. The deck just felt like a little underpowered. Uh, the Jun Sacrifice deck and the four-color midrange deck just like ran all over me. I beat every deck that wasn't those two, but like it wasn't even close when I played those decks. Like they were like, why are you here? I'm just going to smush your face and, you know, move on. And that's what happened. Uh, finished 81st overall. Made day two. Uh, I guess that's not that bad. I got some money out of it. But a little, uh, like I'm glad I made day two. I just wish I did better. I think we all can understand that. Um. And then I missed the the Legacy Showcase. I was, like, awake, and I was ready, but I opened Magic Online, and it took eight minutes to update. And by the time I was able to log into Magic Online, the event had already started. I don't know about YouTube. Maybe uh, our listeners can tell us, but is there any sort of, like, rhyme or reason with the times that the showcases are? It used to be 11.05, and then this one was 11. 
Like, how does Magic Online decide what events to push back five minutes? Didn't you also miss an Eternal Weekend event because you just, like, didn't show up in time? No, I made all of those. There was one I almost missed. Oh, okay. Have you considered building in a little cushion? Just, like, a little bit? Like, show up 20 minutes early instead of five? I mean, I could. I also don't expect Magic Online to take half a century to update. Oh, God, I do. Are are you new here? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, I know you've played Magic Online before. Like, at least once a week, I'm expecting Magic Online to push me back by five minutes between, like, updating. And then after it updates, half the time it wants you to restart again. Like, oh, we just got this new update, but you have to restart if you want to look at the pretty images. Yes, it's been loaded up, but we need to start with it already loaded up. Oh, cool. Neat. Why? Sure. Lovely program. Uh, I recorded a Pioneer video and Legacy Challenge videos on the YouTube. Go check those out. And like the other guys, I updated some of the stuff on YouTube. Go check that out. And the big thing is this tends to be the largest viewed thing on the Epic Storm every year. The annual deck showcases where I scan my decks and upload them. Uh, that will be released on Monday, so keep a lookout for those. Uh, There's a good idea. Someone posted a Twitter about other legacy community members also sharing their personal projects uh, around the holidays because I do it every year around this time. It's just like what I do. So if anyone else would like to share their um, pimped out decks, their cool looking decks, whatever they do uh, to Twitter, I think it'd be a fun thing to do around the holidays. So, Brian, how about you? I know you've taken up doing donation deck lists and you've got daily videos on the channel now. Um, how's that all going? Uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, the Because of the that I'm, I'm releasing videos every weekday at 10 a.m. for the foreseeable future, as long as I'm still in quarantine and don't have to go to my actual job, I'm going to be keeping up that pace. And I'm scheduled through Christmas at this point. It, it's currently a week and a half before Christmas when we're recording, which is like both liberating and terrifying. Because like on the one side, it's like, wow, I can just take the day off. Like today I didn't record a video and that's fine. I'm covered for, for a week and a half still. But at the same time, yesterday I realized that when I switched to 1080p quality, my editor shrunk the size the the like maximum field size of the video so if you watch monday's video my uh blue white energy field deck if you full screen it it doesn't actually go full screen it's 1080p but it's small and so but because i was scheduled so far out i had like seven videos in the queue that were already like that and i had to like frantically like you can't make real-time corrections like the ship takes a little while to turn in the right direction so i re-edited some of the videos that i could and other ones i just couldn't like i I delete like my source files pretty quickly after i finalize the the product and upload it so i was able to salvage some from my recycle bin but uh, some of them are just going to be smaller so there's like some some growing pains there Donation deck lists are a blast, though. I know that's like a huge part of Phil's content model, but I just got into it. Um, I love playing these decks that people just pull out of nowhere. And 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 I'm surprised. Like, I would have never played Mono Black Infect in Modern, but I have that video coming out next week, and it was actually fun and kind of good. I can see how it would win. Can uh, I pause you for a second, Brian? Yeah. I randomly played a Modern League yesterday. And I was looking at the numbers. They have 1,300 active players. Pioneer has like 180 and Legacy is like 
somewhere in the 500s right now. For how bad of a format everyone says that Modern is on Twitter and how unenjoyable the format is, my personal experience is somewhat aligned with that. People love that format, and it's still the most played format by far. So it just seems so weird to me that even though people complain about it all the time online, that it's still by far the most played format. I think it's the eternal format for a new generation. Like, if you're a newer player, it's it's hard to get into Legacy, but you might have the cards that allow you to breach into Modern and realistically switch around decks there. Like, the barrier to entry is lower, and it's a better play experience. Well, normally I would say it's a better play experience than a lot of other things like Standard. So, like, I 100% understa- understand the appeal from that perspective. Yeah, Modern has been the most popular constructed format since its inception, and that hasn't changed. Uh, Like, Legacy is great, but the financial barrier is real. Uh, Pioneer, I'm afraid, is settling into where Extended used to be, where people would be like, oh, Extended is the best format. It's so much fun. There's so many decks, and, like, they're all, like, pretty similar. Like, the the top tier is really deep. Like, when do you play Extended? During PTQ season. And that's it. Like... For nine months of the year, nobody touched Extended. And this was like eight-year Extended. Like Fetchland, Shockland, Mana Bases, and like uh, Mind's Desire was legal, and Dredge, and Affinity, and uh, Countertop. Like those those were all decks in Extended, and that format was fucking fire. But nobody touched it if they didn't have to. And I feel like Pioneer is settling into that space right now. Uh, it kind of got burnt. Like it, it's, its fledgling year got cut in half. So didn't really get the momentum but yeah modern is just and i i i i'm not dialed into uh modern twitter apparently because i don't really see people complaining about modern and i i've had fun every time i i dip my toes in it like i i think that there's just like a strong stable of aggro decks and then a strong stable of mid-range decks a couple of combo decks uh, i i i did a blue white control donation league that that deck felt like it was just half a step too slow against everything. Like, just doesn't keep up with Uro, isn't fast enough to brick the aggro decks. Like, maybe if you're trying to play blue-white control, you'll be sad. But everything else I've done seems pretty cool. I think Pioneer is going to pick up really fast once it hits Arena. I feel like Magic Online might not be the right place for it, just because I feel like Pioneer still like standard was never super popular on Magic Online either, but I feel like once it hits Arena, it's going to really take off. But I could be wrong. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, so my my next thing that I'm working on is what other kinds of videos I can put on YouTube other than full league walkthroughs. And uh, you brought up your deck showcase, which is something I've been thinking about, I, like a series that I'm thinking of calling like Show and Tell. Of just like, like Rich Shea used to do that on his stream. He would be like, okay, well guys, it's time for some show and tell. And then he would go pull out like his set binder of Arabian Nights and just tell like the the actual Arabian Nights story behind a card's uh, like top-down design. So like Rich used to do that and I thought it was cool. And like, I have some cool stuff. I've been playing for over 20 years at this point and invested in Legacy and like, I have some stuff I could show off. Like, I have some foil decks, too. Like, maybe I could do, like, something like that. I'll definitely get in on uh, your holiday foil bling tweet, whatever, thread. So uh, I'll I'll play around with that. Um, 
uh, Michael Caffrey was giving me some feedback the other day. He owns Tales of Adventure. He does like MTG Finance YouTube stuff. And he encouraged me to do like a, a boil down like five minutes of everything you need to know to start with this deck. Like if I put in 10 hours of testing and learn that like sequencing my lands is essential or like some like little thing like that that I like really have a grasp of after playing a league but wouldn't really understand looking at the list like just do five minutes on that like I'm gonna save you 10 hours here's here's five minutes uh that could be cool uh but what really came up that actually today on Twitter uh there was a, a back and forth where like in an article I said Veil of Summer killed ad nauseum tendrils and then Bryant said no it didn't it was force of negation and mystic sanctuary and Brian's so mad at me because that's not actually what he said. Uh, <laughs> so, and then uh, Alex McKinley chimed in and was like, actually, here's all the things that killed on tendrils while improving the Epic Storm. And I was like, how about we just make this into a video? So uh, I have planned up, I'm going to be recording it about the time that this podcast drops. Uh, I, I'm going to have a legacy roundtable chat with Alex McKinley representing the Epic Storm and Daniel D'Amato representing ad nauseum tendrils and we're just going to have like a a friendly debate over what happened to ad nauseum tendrils because it was crushing legacy it was the solution to the rug delver metagame it won gp atlanta and then it disappeared off the planet earth and we haven't seen it since it so, pulled a dexter uh, <laughs> yes it, it dextered so we're, we're going to talk about that in just like a freeform discussion. And if that's a hit, that's definitely something I can do more of. Just like get like, uh, I don't know, like Julian and Hello Newton to hang out and talk about elves. And like, I, I don't know, like some two death and taxes masters. Like it just seems like it has like a bottomless uh, potential there uh, to showcase legacy content creators and the format in a different kind of format. Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm just letting you that. know, I'm going to watch the hell out of the one with Alex and Daniel. I can't wait to watch it. I don't watch your videos, Brian. I love you. You're a great guy, but that's what I would love to watch. Yeah, that that's what I'm thinking. Like, how do I get different sort of people watching different sort of stuff? And it, it is just a totally different thing. And it's the type of thing you could pipe through your car speakers. Like, you don't even need to watch it. Like it's, it's basically just a video podcast. So uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Wrapping up this section, I think one of the things I'm most excited about is trying to make some short five to 10 minute videos that are more just like generically useful. Um, after I made my first one on like heuristics of combat math and like when the bad attack is good, someone immediately shipped me $20 and was like, Hey, can you put together one of those on mulligans? And so now I've spent the last week passively thinking about how I boil everything I think about in a mulligan decision down into just 10 minutes, which is... Yeah, that's great. It's going to be fun, but also like, God, there's so much there. <laughs> yep. All right. Yeah, that's that's what I tried to do with my Wizard School series, and I ran out of topics pretty quick, and they were just an outrageous amount of work for the amount of content you get out on the other end. But if I'm inspired, like I, I do have a similar sort of thing going on on my channel. But I, I like that you're in it too. All right, what are we talking about today? All right, we're going to talk about the mid-range war. Um, this is something that is going on in most formats at most times. But I think it's so, so incredibly visible right now. Um, so do one of you two want to start things off and just kind of explain what we're talking about just sort of at the macro level 
I believe this is why I'm on the podcast. Uh, this is my we we have our our uh, prison god and our storm god, and here I am casting brainstorm. So, uh, whoa, 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 whoa! I've been known to cast a brainstorm or two. Your brainstorms are I, different. I guess, yeah. My brainstorm is to plan how to not lose for a few turns, and then, like, I'll win with the third or fourth brainstorm. But like, you're like, oh, if this brainstorm finds one extra mana, <laughs> I okay, win. Fine. So. Yeah, it's a little different, and I know that now because I did a video with Bryant that's going to be live by the time this podcast goes up. So if you want to see me and Bryant banter while he teaches me how to play the Epic Storm, that video is on Bosch and Roll channel. But anyway, so mid-range decks. So uh, in the archetype spectrum, uh, we have like aggro, mid-range, control, and combo, which are usually uh, about the the macro archetypes that are, are safe to break magic down to. And then, like, just above aggro, there's something called tempo. And tempo is about the most debated definition in Magic's history. Uh, so, like, some. Don't, don't I, even do it. Get, don't even do it. I'm just not gonna, skip over I'm not going to touch it. It's an old legacy meme uh, about what tempo actually means. And then above tempo, there's mid range. So, mid range, they exist to be more powerful than aggro but still low to the ground to beat up control before they get set up. That's that's your goal with a mid-range deck. Uh, like, uh, classic mid-range is like Jund. Like, pick your format. Like, standard, uh, it's, it was a, it's a modern deck. It was briefly a legacy deck. I've even seen it in Vintage. That's that's a mid-range deck. Like, I, I got Tarmogoyf and Liliana the Veil. They're bigger than your little shitty aggro creatures. I got Lightning Bolt. And then I got Bloodbraid off to hammer in under the control deck. That that's mid range, quintessential mid range. So, how that applies to legacy now is that historically, aggro and tempo mirrors are exploitable when someone goes just a little bit bigger. So, going way back in time, history lesson: Alan Comer invented a deck called Miracle Grow. It was a deck that played only ten lands, and it used cantrips to find those lands that might sound similar if you play legacy at all in the last 15 years because he basically invented the xerox mana base and the xerox cantrip suite and blue green miracle grow was an incredible deck dominated the format it was in and then there was a grand prix where i believe it was alex schwartzman broke the miracle grow mirror by adding white for swords to plowshares and mystic enforcer he just went a little bit bigger he had a little bit better removal and could hit a little bit harder in the mid game. And he just crushed that GP. And then that deck eventually grew into Gat or Grow a Tog in Vintage, which it basically shucked the entire uh, creature plan for just Psychotog. And it would just control the game, low land count, high cantrip count, high spell count. And then just whap you with a gigantic psychotog when it was good and ready. So like that 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 was the progression of that deck over time. It just got a little slower, got a little bigger, beat up the older version, and that. But eventually you reach a point where like grow a tog probably wouldn't be great against the original blue green miracle grow, but that was so far gone by that point that it didn't matter. We saw another thing uh, when treasure cruise was legal in Legacy. Uh, Bob Wong won a Star City Open like the first weekend the Treasure Cruise was legal it's just Blue Red Delver it set the format on fire and GP New Jersey 
uh, the like gigantic, sweaty, awful GP New Jersey. Bryant, I'm sure you were there. Phil, were you there for that? I was there too. Oh, you both missed it? Wow. Oh, no, Phil was there. No, I was there. Bryant wasn't. Okay. My sister decided to get married that day, like out of all of the weekends that she could have picked. She did you a favor. My God, that GP was miserable. But anyway, uh, there was one Legacy Grand Prix. It was in New Jersey. It was enormous. Uh, and Treasure Cruise was legal. And that Grand Prix was not won by Blue Red Delver. It was won by Jeskai Stoneblade by Brian Brunduin. He still had four Treasure Crews in his deck. He still had the Lightning Bolts, but he added white. Sounds familiar, right? For the Miracle Grow. He added white for Swords to Plowshares and Stoneforge Mystic. And he just had a beefier mid-range plan. It beat up on the the quick aggro plan, but it still had the same velocity, just better payoffs and better interaction. Guess what I so, lost to in my last three rounds of that event on day two? It was, was that it deck Stoneblade? three times in a row. I was ready for mm-hmm. Blue-Red Delver, and I crushed it two days in a row. And then I got to that deck, and I was not ready. Yep, uh, that you, you when when a format is narrow and defined by an aggressive deck, it's usually breakable by going just one click bigger, and that's what Brian Brunduin and the people around him did in that tournament. And that Jeskai Stoneblade deck was incredible. I played it in one tournament and I won that tournament. Like it, it was, and then they banned Treasure Cruise and it was gone. But that that's like a history lesson in how how this can look. So being slightly bigger is really cool because there's almost never a real downside to doing it. Like at the at the cost of changing maybe two or three cards in your 75, you often get just a huge, huge leg up. Sometimes the, the changes are more pronounced than that, but often they're they're really small. And your core engine, your core game plan is the same, but now you have some sort of haymaker, bomb, or tool that your opponents don't have removal, or sorry, that don't have sort of an equal to, and hence you get a huge leg up in the mirror and against other, like, pseudo-mirrors and things that are doing similar plans. Brian, do you happen to remember the Blue-White Delver deck from Standard? Yes, I do as well. Do you remember the format in Night that people started playing that with Battlecry whenever it attacks, you get two 1-1s? Uh, yeah, Hero, Hero Blade Hold. Hold. That's correct. So I remember by the end of that format, I played it in, in an Inventational, where the plan post board that everybody was on was to board into Sun Titans to get even bigger. And I just remember going like, I am not playing Sun Titan. Like, we were playing 18 lands, and I don't want to, like, board... Like, people are boarding up on lands to go even bigger than the the Paladins. And I'm just like, why are we doing this? And, I mean, I refused to, so I ended up not doing well in that event. But I was just like, enough is enough. Like, I'm not doing this. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that exact process. So, while being a little bit bigger than your opponents or the other people who are playing your deck isn't that big of a deal, what happens when this process goes on for weeks or months and it becomes an arms race. That's really what we want to talk about today. This is mid-range wars. And if this process repeats for months, and you're trying to go bigger and bigger and bigger, then someone like, I don't know, a Tom Ross is going to come in with a deck full of mono-red one-drops and just murder you and punish you for trying to be bigger. Or someone like Bryant is going to come in with TES and just, like, collect his money and tournament winnings by killing you dead. I hope. <laughs> yep yeah like the 
we're going to get into some current examples, but like it, it in the the mid range blue mirrors, like you're frequent, you almost always board out any number of force negations you have. I tend to board out one to three force of wills, also depending on what haymakers we all have access to. But like if you start doing that in the main deck, like like I'm only going to play three force of wills main deck because I'm ready for the, I'm pre boarded for mid range. Now my pants are down to that that epic storm player. Um, uh, Jim Rinkowitz won a Grand Prix with no Force of Wills in his main deck. It, it was the, I remember it was that Grand... shit. That was wild. Yeah, he he played just fair and square, bant mid range. It, it was the format where Mental Misstep was legal. Stoneforge Mystic had just premiered. Uh, like uh, the joke of the the format was called Standard still because Stoneforge Mystic and Mental Misstep were both standard legal, and it, they. Uh, Team Channel Fireball shoved them into a a standstill shell, but it was a uh, Grand Prix Providence in 2012. I remember yes, being uh, in the room and people running around looking for Manrique Gusaris, and people were selling this uncommon for fifty five dollars. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, uh, I I played Food Chain in that Grand Prix because I was religiously on Elves at the time, but Mental Misstep was legal, so I had to to sidestep a little bit but i I did uh money that grand prix with food chain but that's neither here nor there uh but uh yeah jim rinkowitz won the uh mental misstep stoneforge mystic grand prix without force of will in his main deck which is a bold metagame call but like it's one that paid off for him that day uh so like if that's the sort of thing people are doing they're gonna get shit housed by the combo decks and uh, that that's like metagame in flux but right now, what we're seeing in Legacy is everyone just creeping up and up the curve. So let's get into some current examples. And I think the easiest place to start with is Rug Delver. And I'll start with an anecdote from my stream the other night. I had my Rug Delver player dead on board. There was no normally played card in their 75 that could get them out of the situation. I, I was just going to aggro in and kill them next turn. And then they cast an Uro. And I was like, oh, no. The three life gave them another turn, and they used that turn to put the Uro in play, which gave them another three life and a giant blocker, and I promptly lost. Whereas a normal Rug Delver deck might not have been able to beat me, the Rug Delver deck that went just a little bit above the normal bigger of something like Oko obliterated me, and I was not ready for it. Yep, uh... I've seen those lists. I, I, I was it uh, Daniel Gotchel who started doing that. I believe so. I, 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 yeah, I believe so. I, I've seen I've seen him post those lists. So, just I, he didn't really cut much. Like there, there's what like one or two euros, and otherwise the seventy five is indistinguishable from yep. Or the other seventy three cards are just rug delver shit, and like that just gives you that crazy hammer, uh, and it it costs very little. I think it might be important to discuss why Rugdelver is going larger as well. Like Rugdelver was king of the world, right? Like nothing could stop it. People, uh, Binu went 10-0 in back-to-back challenges with the deck. And then Death and Taxes came back. Apparition Apparition there. Just doing so much work. The the Rugdelver pilots were posting embarrassing statistics. Um, it, It was some like pro or grinder or something posted like i think i'm 20 percent against death and taxes right now christopher pakula 
ah, thank you. Um, and that was sort of the experience of a lot of people. And so it was time to try something new. I don't and know I've... whether or not this has improved things. And it's kind of weird because like Uro is Karakasable. But like, damn, if that card getting into play and sticking isn't horrendous for D&T, if like it actually happens and works. Yeah. And I think it's important because they were forced to adapt. And now because they're going a little bit bigger, they're also a little bit better against snow. So it's like a double-edged sword helping them, but they get a little bit worse against combo and other decks that are trying to go even larger than snow. Yep. So in it, in addition to Uro, we see Clothis in Rug Delverless. Uh, that that's another card that just it does a different thing than the normal Rug plan. It's a little bigger. It costs more mana. It doesn't. It doesn't hit your opponent's face, and it doesn't counter one of their spells, and it doesn't draw cards, which are the three things that the cards in Rugdelver are supposed to do. But Clothis just pivots onto this different axis, and it can totally pick apart other mid-range mirrors. Like, if you have Clothis in your hand against the Epic Storm, LOL, <laughs> nice fucking card. Uh, if you even get that into play before you're dead, it's never going to trigger. And if it does, it's not going to matter. But, like... I I being the uh the uh the monarch player here the the blue monarch player lately when I see a clothis I'm like oh no it's so sticky Ugh. it's so sticky so you yeah. may not remember this but I did win a challenge with rug delver I played two of them in the sideboard every single time I opened one in my hand and I I would go all right my opponent has 8 turns to kill me because this card will kill them within 8 turns and that's just what that card does. It gives you the inevitability in any matchup where you have it. And inevitability is often something that you're trying to get by going slightly bigger. Um, the Death and Taxes decks slotting in Yorian is a great example of that, where you get something that can potentially give you like a Flicker Wisp blink and another piece of equipment off a Stoneforge late in the game after like say you flooded out and run out of resources you're just looking for that little bit more extra push in order to get the win or like we saw the snow decks uh, a few weeks ago playing felidar retreat to just go and have inevitability and turn your your land drops into creatures you're just looking for something to give you just that little bit more over your opponent phil can i ask you a question yeah have the Yorion Death and Taxes decks adapted Charming Prince like the standard decks? Because the standard interaction between Yorion and Charming Prince is just stupid. And they have Apparition there as well. So I was curious if the Legacy decks were doing anything similar to that. Um, so you see it sometimes. Uh, the need is a little bit less since you already have Flicker Wisp in the, in the first place. So it doesn't necessarily have to be Charming Prince. Um, and it, it sounds weird to say this, but even in the 80 card DNT list, things are still kind of tight because you're trying to replicate certain effects um, so that you still have a decent curve. So you might play two Spirit of the Labyrinth normally. Well, now you want to play four or something like that. So even though you're opening up 20 slots, after you add in the additional lands that you need, there's not actually all that many slots there. So I often see Charming Prince as like maybe a one of, but it's not. It has not become a central part of the plan or anything. I don't think. Okay. 
the the card Yorion is almost printed with mid-range arms races in mind. Just like think about what Yorion does to a deck where it is the companion. Like what it in the the appeal of playing the the normal 60 cards or 40 and limited is that you draw your best cards more often. Like that's why you want to stick to the normal deck size. That's that's simple probability. Like that that's not rocket science. So why would like in what circumstances would you dilute the best cards in your deck in order to get this eight mana payoff that requires you to be on board to really pay off anything at all? Like what kind of games does that lend itself to? And it's mid-range wars. Like when Yorion was first uh, printed back before the Commandion rule change even, like obviously I was in, I was testing all sorts of Yorion decks. And what I came down to was if my opponent is a combo deck, I really wish I wasn't a Yorion deck, but in every other circumstance, I'm so glad I was. And uh, that it just like really starkly forces you to understand uh, mid-range arm races because uh, Yorion is, that's what it's for. I think we also see a little bit of that with Felidar Retreat, right? Like it's saying, hey, I'm going to play the mid-range mirror at some point. Like someone's going to be equally as large and snow for a long time was the top of the mid-range like snow is essentially a mid-range deck like we call it control but it's pretty much a mid-range deck like i think miracles is actually the next deck up but felder retreat is helping you at that similar level yeah uh, like and and that was a a metagame and shift there was a a mid-range war going on it was like uh so uh, Oro and Oko were the, the core of the snow deck, and then it was people started main decking uh, uh, Red Blast to deal with the Uros and the Okos, and then we had Abrupt Decay to deal with Uros and Okos, and uh, then people were like playing Clothis to deal with the Uros and, and like fight on that axis. And then here's this four mana I mean, it's a four mana do nothing, like you need to have a land drop left to make and a land to play. It's this four mana do nothing, but it's not blue. It costs four. It's not getting fluster stormed. It's not getting red blast. It's not getting abrupt decayed. Elked. And it's not going to get elked exactly like that. It was the the next click up. But again, like that clothis in the rug delver, like that cards in your hand versus combo. Nice job. You're you mauled to six. So so. Do you want to start on carpet? Uh, I was going to talk about what control decks are up to. We were about to skip one there. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought we kind of hit on some of that stuff just now. Uh, yeah. So I, I talked about main deck Pyroblast a little bit, but uh, control decks, like actual control, like like basic island, basic planes, no astrolabe control, <laughs> which uh, I've been working on a bit, especially with the new Monarch cards. Monarch cards are a commitment to a mid-range war. Like a lot of those don't have a great impact on the board when they're played, but they set you up to gain advantage over time. And if you don't expect the game to go long, that's not something worth investing in. Like you don't see the Epic Storm playing Court of Cunning. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I I put Moat. I I tested Moat in uh, Shark Still and in Blue White Monarch. Uh, I... Jarvis uh, changed uh, my moat to a humility in my my Bant court shell, and he said that was pretty good. Uh, and late 
most recently, I've even been testing main deck rest in peace. Like I cut the moats and put rest in peace uh, energy field into the main deck because rest in peace cuts off so many of those. Uh, like it cuts off Clothis, cuts off Uro. Like I, I'm just getting ahead in the mid range war, and those are all decisions made in that in that space. But moat humility, uh, main deck rest in peace, embarrassing against. Uh, the Epic Storm. Here we are again. Epic Storm is the bad guy this this episode, <laughs> or at least at least the police, the cops. So all of those cards pretty bad there, but they help in those specific arms race situations. If this is going to so, be called mid range wars, can we be the dark side at least? Like, but why do we have to be cops? Yeah. I, all right. Dark dark side it is. Let's I mean, let's roll with this for the rest the of the side, episode. <laughs> all right. So another important thing to realize about the mid range war is that it's not always about having a card with a higher converted mana cost. Like, you don't need to go the next step up and be playing, like, a Thragtusk or, a, a you know, a Titan or something. Sometimes but That you... sounds sweet, Phil. Do you not want a free 3-3? Three, three? Five life? Did you bring two spears? I have Restoration Angel some Thragtusks in Legacy. I will fully admit that shit right Phil. there. I'm going to make a Lying. judgment based on you. I'm willing to bet that you've tried Nick Fit in your life. I mean, it wasn't just one time either. <laughs> <laughs> it was in college. I was trying all sorts of different things. <laughs> Look, man, the, the, the rhino, it's it's just it's just kind of sexy. And like sometimes you just got to go back to it. You, you just need to like get get that shit out of your system. And and you feel better afterwards. Yep. Now you know if you like it or not, but you had to try it first. Yeah. Um, my Nick Fit judgments uh, essentially boil down to the fact that, like, damn, that deck makes for good content because you get to do hilarious bullshit that, like, should not be allowed. Yeah, I posted a nice screenshot to Twitter uh, last week. I was actually playing Hollowvine against Nick Fit, but their Veteran Explorers put all of my lands into play from my deck on turn three. So I had this great screenshot of me doing outrageous things because I had access to like seven mana plus my lion's eye diamonds. I just like, I think I brought back like two different Ox of Agonises in the same <laughs> turn and cast a hollow one. And then also like triggered two Venge Vines. This, this was all on turn three. It, it, so Nick, yeah, it makes for good screenshots. All right. So one of my absolute favorite things in the world is beating someone with their own strategy. So I I love playing against Nick Fit or like a Eureka deck where they just like do their thing, execute it, and you're like, hold on a second. You gave me an unhealthy amount of mana. Let me show you something cool. Yep. Uh, in in our league we recorded, Phil and I recorded Death and Taxes. We played against Aloran in one league and... Uh, Death of Texas is full of three drop and smaller creatures. That was fun. Uh, I what one more story, then I'll let you talk about Carpet of Flowers. Uh, Steve Rubin one time was playing some uh, like Esper Stoneblade or something against Nick Fit at a a legacy tournament in Pittsburgh, and the opponent did like the turn one Cabal Therapy, named something in the blind. It missed, it hit. I don't remember, but it saw that Jace the Mind Sculptor was in Rubin's hand, and Rubin was like land go, and then the opponent's like. Uh, Veteran Explorer, flashback name Jace. And Ruben's like, hold your horses, gets two islands out of his deck, counterspells the Cabal Therapy, then untapped and cast Jace, and easily won the game. <laughs> yeah. You love to see it. 
All right. So Carpet of Flowers is a, a different way to attack the mid-range arms race. So something that's weird that can happen when the decks get too mid-rangey is you have too many cards and not enough mana to actually cast them. If your hand is like Oko, Clothis, Questing Beast, or some shit like that, like you have trouble casting all of those cards while also interacting with your opponent, right? And so if you play something like a Carpet of Flowers, and then all of a sudden you get a Black Lotus worth of mana every turn in these blue mirrors, then all of a sudden you get to deploy all of your cool cards and your opponent doesn't, and you pull so far ahead because you actually get to utilize your cards while interacting with your opponent. And Carpet of Flowers has become this brutal mirror breaker or like sideboarding option i've even seen carpet of flowers in the main deck of some of these blue decks now just like in an attempt to pre-board for them yeah i played pokemoki's banned tall breacher deck on my uh channel last week and it had a main deck carpet in it and then a couple more in the sideboard plus noble hierarch in the main so like uh phil said that the mid-range war is not about casting the highest converted mana cost thing but it is about spending the most mana like, I, I would bet that if we go turn by turn, break down a mid-range mirror, the player who spent more mana is going to win it more often of the time. Like, short of like a mana screw, mana flood situation where someone just runs away with Oko or whatever, if we really play a game, the player who spends more mana is going to win it. So Carpet of Flowers is one of the reasons why the Epic Storm has sort of taken Ant's spot as well. Uh, I know that we were joking about it today on Twitter, Brian, but traditionally at least in the past the epic storm was the fast deck and ant was the mid-range and slow deck the epic storm gets to do it all now thanks to carpet of flowers you really get to punish these blue decks by playing defense grid plus claw in one turn or burning wish plus defense grid or burning wish claw like all these things like you get to utilize your mana so much better and you actually have a much better late game now than other combo decks while being fast against decks like death and taxes yeah for the listeners, if you're interested in Carpet of Flowers specifically as a topic in blue decks, Pokemoki wrote a like baby article, like a little three page article just as a Google Doc about like Carpet of Flowers and what it's doing right now. Um, he posted that to Twitter on the 14th. Um, so feel free to go check that out. It's a short read, but if you're just kind of curious about why that card is picking up so much right now, um, it goes into more depth than what we can go into here. Uh, it's slightly off topic, but it's I think it's on topic, so I'm going to mention it. Today in the Storm Discord, we were talking about Vintage and how discard spells don't see play there for a number of reasons, but I think the primary reason is that the top of your opponent's deck now is so strong, and I almost feel like we're almost to that point in Legacy. I think we're not quite there yet, but discard spells are becoming worse and worse just because every card in your opponent's hand nowadays is just bonkers. Like, in the past, you used to look at their hand... They'd have one or two good cards. You'd pick an avenue and then you'd play around that avenue. You'd be like, okay, I'm not going to let them do this the rest of the game. Now when you cast a Thoughtseize, you're just looking at five studs and two lands. And it's making those sort of effects not as good as they were even a couple of years ago. So I think the mid-range war has a big part to do with this where we keep on going bigger and bigger. And the cards are all just amazing now instead of having cards that were a little bit smaller and more efficient than we did in the past. Like, spell snare and nimble mongoose that we saw during the lawyer's era all right we're tangenting now because this is like legit interesting <laughs> yeah i i want to jump on this tangent and talk about a concept uh, that patrick sullivan developed called bane drifters where back in the day uh and by back in the day i mean like 
four years ago. <laughs> uh, creatures were either Baneslayer angels or they were mall drifters. Like, it, you're going to get some value out of it, or it's going to be a big, thick booty to win the game with. And Uro, like Uro is a Bane drifter. It's just both. Oko is a Bane drifter. It's both. I, I'm I'm sure we could think of other things like uh like Clothis, even kind of a Bane drifter. Um, these like uh that it's that's just how they're designing cards to sell sets now. And I, I don't want to get into the whole like yeah we 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 actively avoid being legacy boomers and complaining about modern card design on this cast. Uh, but that is just how cards are being designed now. Like Bane Drifters are what sell sets. Like Terror of the Peaks was a card that came out this year. Uh, you may not remember it because it didn't do anything. That card would have shredded standard magic and maybe even been like Pioneer playable five years ago, if Pioneer was a thing five years ago. Uh, let me just pull up this card and read it real quick. Oh, I know what it does off the top of my head. But uh, think about how playable Stormbreath Dragon was. This card's better than Stormbreath. Yeah, so Terror of the Peaks, three red-red, so five total, five-four flying dragon. Spells your opponents cast the target Terror of the Peaks costs an additional three life. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Terror of the Peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target. Damn. So, yeah, so so this is just a fat above-rate flyer with two different upsides. It's resistant to removal. If they're going to remove it, it's going to hurt them. If it stays in play, it's going to hurt them even more. And like that card is un was unplayable. Didn't get touched in standard. And be because it's just a, a Bane Slayer, it's not a Bane Drifter. So I think we're also seeing some Bane Drifters with things like uh, Bonecrusher Giant. Like you get value out of it twice, even though it's not as large. And sometimes you see that with other cards. Like, it doesn't always have to be huge. Like Phil was saying, like, they don't have to be expensive as long as you're getting that extra value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had not thought of Brazen Borrower as a Bane Drifter, but it is. Like, uh, they they don't... It's not necessarily card advantage. It, it's more tempo advantage. <laughs> Here we go again. Tempo. What is tempo? Uh, <laughs> but, like... Yeah, your removal spell also being a real threat. Like, I've lost games to a, a Brazen Borrower that, like, bounced something, like, bounced an elk, then came in in the end step and cracked me three times and I died before I could re recover. Like, that that happens. And Commonly as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it's not even an uncommon thing. All right, Phil, I suppose we'll let you talk more about Carpet if that's what you wanted to do, or we can go to the next thing. Yeah, I I feel like we should just move on. Like we've we've still got a lot of meat to this episode. Um, We're only I was... an hour and a half in. I mean, we got plenty of time. Yeah, I hope you're all hungry. <laughs> all right. Um, why don't we transition to talking about going under now? So there are going to be a lot of people who are like trying to win this mid range race, right? And when everyone is competing with the mid range race, one of the ways you can win is just like refuse to play that game and gear your deck in the opposite directions. So uh, in standard decks of times past, we often saw these sly decks, these like hyper aggressive red aggro decks with burn as finishers that just went under what everyone else was doing when they were fighting some arms races. Um, in Legacy, we saw people do this with Infect very frequently. It's like, oh, you're trying to play this big, long game, are you? 
haha, invigorate berserk goes brrrr. Yep, let me tell you about trying to beat an Ink Moth Nexus with miracles. <laughs> it was a bad time. So, our listeners might remember an episode, I want to say it was probably like eight episodes ago, where we talked about the health of Legacy with Rug Delver. And in it, I talked about how Rug Delver had gone up to seven forces and how it was becoming impossible to beat them due to the card advantage and all this good stuff. And that's changed quite a bit. And I think, honestly, I have to thank Skyclave Apparition. And because Skyclave forced these Rug Delver decks to quit being so linear and broaden themselves a little bit. So instead of seeing seven forces now, we're seeing five. On average, more closer to six, but some lists have five. We're seeing more bolts now. We're seeing more chain lightnings. And that's this Rug Delver deck becoming more of a mid-range deck, but they do sacrifice. And one of the ways that you can beat them is by going under, like Phil said. So if these Delver decks are having more bolts, they're going to die more to Oopsell spells. They're going to die more to the Epic Storm. Um, Dredge, for example, like not having that extra force of negation to hit the Faithless looting, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, the Epic Storm crushes snow for that very reason. Like they're too busy casting Ice Fang Quaddles. Yeah, and there's so many different decks that you can choose to to go under. Um, we just kind of like put together a list. So the Epic Storm, Show and Tell, Hogak, Oops, Burn, Dredge, Reanimator, Turbo Depths, and there's plenty more that you could add to this list, um, like say Doomsday or or something like that. If your opponents are taking their sweet time and getting going and playing cards that aren't really relevant to your strategy, you can you can punish them. If, if you can just win the game quickly. Yep, when that show and tell resolves and you put in Felidar Retreat, you're going to feel like a dummy. <laughs> All right, so we kind of meant this section as a, as a baby section um, because I, I think this concept is kind of self-explanatory. Do either of you have anything you want to add? Uh, only a small bullet. Going under is a lot more difficult than it was in the past. So I was pretty early to adapt going under against miracles. Like at the time, all the TS lists had two Chromoxin and I realized I was winning more by, I quit being a bad past and flame stack and I started just embracing TS's strengths and I went up to three Chromoxin and, and eventually I got up to four before, uh, you know, top left the format and then I could go back to being reasonable. But I realized that I needed to play into my strength. It's a lot more difficult to do that now due to force negation, and I'm not trying to complain about force negation. It's just a harsh truth of current legacy. Uh, your opponents are more likely to have that turn one piece of interaction. So while it's nice to be blazing fast, you do have to be a little bit resilient. I just wanted to add in that little bit of a bullet. Yeah, on that point, uh, in our league that we played, Brian, we played a Epic Storm Mirror against uh, Jacob, who is a longtime Epic Storm pilot, and. I've seen that dude slam more into a turn one force than anyone because it used to just be like 60% of the time I win that game. Like I've heard him say that so often where it's like he he would rather just, you know, take the 40% chance that he loses on the spot than try to sculpt and then open up like the cantrips, the spell pierces, the fluster storms, etc. And that that heuristic, I don't know if it was ever true, but it's definitely not true anymore. It used to be. Not so much anymore. Yeah. Um. On a, on a different axis, a lot of the like prison style decks are having more trouble now than they used to because of this like six to seven force problem. Like that chalice or whatever you're trying to jam on turn one doesn't resolve as frequently. 
and now there are also just more powerful things that your opponents are playing on average so it's a little scarier to be playing the prison deck when you can be facing down like oko and uro and all sorts of bs of that nature yeah prison decks are uh, like the 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 stompy style like ancient tomb prison decks those are made to feast on like the aggro and tempo decks and now that everyone's a mid-range deck uh, it, it's just a lot worse like they're like I, I've been playing the bigger deck for a while now, like Miracles or Stoneblade, whatever it is, like bigger than Delver. And a lot of the times, like I'm holding Force and I just let Chalice resolve, or I'm like, yeah, I can beat a Thorn of Amethyst. Like I can play through that Trinosphere. I'll save this for their Chandra or whatever is actually going to kill me. And like that, that's not something that a Delver deck can let happen, but it's definitely something that a mid-range deck can let happen. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I would play Prison in a serious tournament right now unless I was one of the like blue versions with Hull Breacher that is just like doing something legitimately unfair to balance the like broken stuff your opponents are doing. Right. Being a combo deck that also has Chalice in it is is a pretty solid place to be uh, as as opposed to just a classic Prison deck. You stole my words, Brian. I would not consider Echo, uh, Narset, Karn, Trash to be a prison deck that is a combo deck masquerading as a prison deck it's a hybrid deck which is just really awesome like i just love that that space exists in legacy the deck is basically tailor-made to defeat the epic storm because it has chalice of the void and fast mana and force of will and card the great creator so it's a tough time i understand why brian wouldn't like it but <laughs> i mean that doesn't come without cost either yeah. like uh when when you're doing like that that's also kind of a mid-range war like i'm this like mid-range stompy deck with a combo kill like that's what i'm bringing to the mid-range war but like if you play against an actual tempo deck where they're just like uh force of will your chalice wasteland the ancient tomb you cast it with nice hand idiot like that sometimes the game ends on the spot so like uh, that's all metagame stuff but ancient, that, ancient that tomb also does top. not feel free anymore like oh, no. I have felt the damage from my own ancient tomb so much these last few months. People are hitting hard. Like that's because every blue deck has haste creatures in it now. Yeah, with Oko. Well, yeah, brought up a pretty good point there. Uh, Doomsday is essentially a mid range deck to me. Whenever I play the Doomsday matchup, I'm like, they're literally they can be just as fast as me but they get to play forcible and I have to respect it where they don't have to respect that out of me. And that makes the doomsday matchup pretty difficult. So it's just like that next level up. They are the mid range to my tempo. Yeah. Leading up to uh, eternal weekend, 2019 uh, Cyrus Cormangill and I were, we were both in the vintage super league. We had both top aided eternal weekend the year before. That was when we met, we were in touch, uh, like uh, talking about magic throughout the year we did some testing together, bouncing theory off each other, leading up to Eternal Weekend, the 2019. And he ended up being on Dark Petition Storm, and I ended up on Paradoxical Outcome. And Dark Petition Storm, although it is a Dark Ritual Storm deck, it has a slower goldfish and doesn't have Force of Will when it's head-to-head against Paradoxical Outcome. And like Paradoxical Outcome can't really beat Xerox because they have so many red blasts, but Dark Petition Storm doesn't play any blue cards and they have defense grid in the main so like it was just sort of a rock paper scissors thing 
And Cyrus and I actually ended up getting paired in round one of Eternal Weekend with me on PO and him on Dark Perdition Storm. And like, uh, he he kept seven, and I just easily browned him on a Maldifor. And it it was like, I, I felt bad because like we had worked so hard together to determine how unwinnable that was for him. But like, it's the same thing. Like, uh, I I have the option to go mid range with my combo deck, and you just don't. So a lot of what we're talking about right now is sort of on a on a on a gradient, right? On a scale. And you're you're often looking to be just this one tick bigger than someone else. But what if we blow this like way out of proportion, go like this is spinal tap, crank it up to eleven. Where do we end up Port. if we just go stupid big? What if we just hard cast some Eldrazi? Let's crank it up to twelve, right? Uh, that's where this is going. I, I see, because because twelve is bigger than eleven. Yeah, that makes sense. And and that's also the number of posts in the twelve post deck, boys. Oh. Welcome to the joke. So you might yeah, break so, me down. I don't understand, Brian. Okay, you so there's five. a deck called twelve post. <laughs> uh, like your five. There's a deck called twelve post because it plays twelve cloud posts. But you're only allowed to play four. Not this uh, deck. They, they fucking Vesuvas. cheat hard. Yeah, they have Vesuvas, they have Thespian Stages, they have Glimmer Posts. Uh, you can post right up, uh, like Shaquille O'Neal. And it. Th so this deck uh, basically doesn't do anything for the first few turns of the game. Uh, if you're not familiar, all jokes aside, Cloud Post is a land that comes into play tapped and taps for one colorless for each locus you control. And Cloud Post is a land dash locus. And Glimmer Post. Uh, was printed uh, close to a decade after Cloud Post was. Scars and of Glimmer. Yeah. Yeah, and Scars of Mirrodin. And Glimmer Post is a uh, land-locus. When it enters the battlefield, gain one life, taps for a colorless. So it basically only exists to fuel Cloud Post. And if you get... So the first Cloud Post taps for one. The second Cloud Post, they both tap for four. The third one, they tap for nine together. So it's like exponential growth. And then you have Vesuva to copy your Cloud Post. You have Glimmer Post to bump. Like, if you have three Cloud Posts in play, Glimmer Post taps for four, effectively. Like, the, the mana scales in an absurd direction. Uh, and this deck doesn't really do anything in the early turns of the game, except make land drops. And a lot of them come into play tapped. And this deck gets chewed right up by Wasteland, backed by a clock. And, but if you're not, if you don't have Wasteland, or if you're not clocking... You're going to be facing down Hardcast Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn, very soon. Uh, the deck plays Golos to tutor up Eye of Ugin. Eye of Ugin can tutor up Emrakul, and then she's on the stack. And the deck also plays Caracas, so it can bounce Emrakul and cast it again. The deck can take infinite turns, and all of them involve attacking with Emrakul. And like that happens pretty quickly, and there is no counterspell that's going to get through that. And it, like the inevitability is crushing. Brian, technically there is a single counter spell. You might remember this. The purpose of Mindbreak Trap being printed was to exile Emrakul from the stack. Uh, I don't know if it's ever <laughs> happened, but it's been cast plenty of times against me. And just for once, I would like that, you know, spaghetti monster to get exiled. Like give it its function. Uh, let me look up. I think there's one other one that might do it. Yeah, Summary Dismissal also does it. Uh, summary Dismissal is Mindbreak Trap without 
uh, trap wasn't, without being a trap. Wasn't that one printed for uh, the Promised End? Yes, that was in Eldritch Moon. Uh, Summary Dismissal is blue, blue, and two. Exile all other spells and counter all abilities. So uh, that one also clears the stack. So there's there's a few ways to interact with Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. But uh, boarding and Mind Break Trap against 12 Post is not where you want to be. Though it might be where you have to be, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember a lot of days of like, Blue-white miracles uh, being one of, like, the best decks of the format, and people were trying to play 12 post in order to just sort of, like, crush on them and meme on them. And there were a lot of desperation plays where, like, that's the sort of stuff you do, or, like, you're only out towards really beating them is, like, Venser plus Caracas or or something crazy like that. Um, these, these decks often just clown on the the control decks now not not always but very very frequently even the things that are smaller than emrakul are still a beating like olamog the ceaseless hunger even if it just exiles two of your lands like that's usually pretty brutal yeah i i've lost a number of games to uh to 12 post like you need specific hate like back to basics or blood moon if you're a control deck trying to beat these 12 post decks but even that isn't necessarily enough like I've had Blood Moon in play, like turn three Blood Moon on the play against 12 post. And if you can't clock, which a lot of control decks can't do because that's not how they're designed, uh, your opponent will just get up to like 10 mana. Like maybe Grim Monolith is involved or some other ramp spell, but like they can just get up to 10, cast Ulamog, eat your Blood Moon and your Planeswalker, and then you're losing. Like you just... They didn't do anything for a long time, and their one spell just wrecks you, and you can't counter it because it's a triggered ability. Like, even if you counter Ulamog, you're still losing your Blood Moon and your Oko. And, uh, like, all of that, it all comes crashing down. Uh, like, these decks, you need to pinch their mana early, and then you need to close. And, and that's a tough thing for mid-range decks to do. It's hard for them to do either of those things, much less both. In full disclosure here, there are certain games where you counter two critical spells and the 12 post deck flops around and doesn't do anything like those games definitely exist. Those are the games that you can win as the, the control deck, but inevitability is certainly there. Sometimes at lower mana costs than we're used to. A lot of these newer versions are playing primeval Titan and that when that comes down on turn four or something, that is a big, uh, Oh, question can you go larger than the 12 post deck like can you out mid-range the top of the curve uh ramp is not really mid-range like that that's a uh ramp kind of exists on the spectrum in a place like tempo does where it's not in like the the core like aggro control combo like it, it it's off to the side somewhere and i don't know what who could hang with 12 post just if we're in a haymaker match where we're both just we're both goldfishing. We're both doing our best thing. Like, short of a combo kill, I don't know who can hang with that top end. Is there an answer? Were you queuing it up, or was that a real question? That was me giving you a softball. Oh, did I blow it? I don't know. I, I feel like it was a foul tip. I don't know. Like, how about you guys explain to me what beats Emrakul the Aeon's Torn every turn? So, like you mentioned, uh, the ramp decks exist outside of midrange. I think that they live parallel to control decks. Sometimes the control decks have enough tools to beat these ramp decks. 
because they're also fighting on a slightly different axis. So you mentioned like Blood Moon and stuff. Well, every once in a while you get a control deck running from the ashes going, well, you just can't have lands. Um, that happens as well. So there are ways. I just think that they tend to live in the same space, just different. Uh, okay. All right. I, I, I see where you are going now. All right. That that was not the question you asked, but it is a real thing. Uh, yeah. So uh, if in the mid-range war, like like this, this is parlaying pretty smoothly into our next section, which is how metagames fluctuate, basically. And uh, what Bryant just described is like, uh, like in, in one of my recent leagues, I got absolutely dumpstered by 12 posts. I was playing uh, one of my blue white monarch decks and like uh, I had back to basics in one of the games and I didn't have it in the other two games. And that was everything. And I was only playing one because I wasn't, you know, boarding for cloud posts, building for cloud posts. But you probably should these days, like having two or three back to basics or like Bryant said, something like from the ashes that just destroy all lands and they, they don't have enough basics to search up more. Like those sort of things you can play, uh, but I would call those uh, like sideboard choices, metagame choices, rather than like hanging in the deep end with Emrakul, because nothing hangs in the deep end with Emrakul. Like I, I don't, I don't care how many, how big my shark is, it's not not going to beat. I was literally Emrakul. just going to make a joke about sharks being in the deep end, uh, same wavelength. Yeah, I guess if I ever get uh, 18 lands into play, I can make a 16-16 shark and just beat Emrakul in combat. But the fucked up thing, when Emrakul dies, she shuffles into your deck, and you still have Eye of Ugin, and you just get her and cast her again, and they will take another turn, and eventually, even with your 18 lands, they're going to annihilate her, that shark out of the way, and you're going to die. Like, it's this, it, it's like that end game is... Like, it is literally infinite turns where they eat six permanents a turn. I have a challenge. And Marcus Awald, you're probably listening to this. I would like you to cast High Tide into Time Spiral, make a huge shark, and then, like, Cunning Wish or some sort of Time Lock, and then attack through an Ember Hole. I would like this to happen. I would like a moto screenshot presented by uh, next week. Please make this happen. All right. We're going to need, like, uh, Jerry me in on the game, so we just queue into him, so there's always going to be an Emrakul in the match. And just, like... And he has to agree not to counter any of my spells. Like, it, like, if, like I will never counter show and tell if he promises to only put in Emrakul, and then I'll put in Basic Island, and that'll ramp me to the high tide I'm looking for. Uh, and, like, yeah, that, that sounds reasonable. This seems like good on its magic. Yeah. Anyway, um, there are other people trying to, like, do this go big plan in a slightly different way. We've been seeing an odd number of Legacy Primeval Titan and Elvish Reclaimer decks popping up recently that are looking to go bigger than a lot of these mid-range decks with things like Field of the Dead or are looking to convert resources very efficiently by, say, activating a Reclaimer, getting rid of a Flagstones, and then it ramps you in addition to tutoring. Um, so these decks often go bigger than some of the other mid-rangey decks of, of the format, and sometimes are also presenting, like, combo kills with Valakut as well. That deck reminds me a lot of Four Color Loam. I know that they're not the same deck, I'm not trying to say that they are, but it took the strengths of Four Color Loam while getting rid of what made Four Color Loam not as good in the current metagame. You're getting rid of Mox Diamond, because it's an elk. You're getting rid of Chalice of the Void, because it's an elk. And you're just focusing on what Four Color Loam did best. 
Yeah, this is this is a modern port. Like the like Primeval Titan has been a pillar of modern basically since its inception. And right now with Field of the Dead and Dryad of the Elysian Grove, uh Primeval Titan is I mean, even if it's answered right away, even if they have the path to exile instantly, it's gonna leave like three zombies and a Valakut behind. And uh, if if Dryad was in play, you're you're taking nine or twelve on the way out. Like it these decks are really cool. Like these super linear Cavern of Souls fueled uh they've kind of they're like the spiritual uh successor to Amulet Titan. because uh, like it it turns out that you don't need to do that anymore. You can just play Dryad of the Elysian Grove, hit an extra land drop for two turns in a row, and cast Primeval Titan on turn four for a lethal Valakut. And it's just it's bananas, and the Legacy card pool contains all that stuff too, uh, plus more. This is one of those decks that I, I want to try out the current iteration. I tested some of the earlier versions before they were more refined, and they felt good then. So I'm sure after like more of the community and hive mind has had a chance to get at it, that these probably feel pretty smooth. Yeah, I, I recorded a league with a, a primeval Titan stompy deck, like probably right when Theros be, uh, reborn beyond Theros beyond Theros reborn. What is that set called? Nobody beyond? knows. Beyond death. Is that? Oh, that I one sounds Theros right. Beyond death. Yes. Yeah. Theros beyond death. Right when that came out and dry the Elysian Grove was printed. Uh, I, I, I tried a really early on that version of that deck. I didn't play it very well uh, because it was way out of my wheelhouse. I made some sequencing errors and stuff, and it still felt good in my my clumsy hands with that ugly list. And it's only gotten better. I don't like that Theros Beyond Death is not TBD. They're like, whoa, whoa, we need to keep on using that abbreviation. We'll make it THB or THD. I'm just saying Wizards effed up. I see. Okay. <laughs> what else is new? Oh, okay. All right. Moving on to our final section. All right. It was low-hanging fruit. I had to take that one. It was just so easy. Yeah. Got him. All right. D's nuts. So uh, the the final section, we've been hinting at it in uh, various forms the whole way. This is just the undulations of a healthy metagame. So uh, uh, the mid-range war is is raging 12 post comes in to just smush everyone then combo and the wasteland tempo decks push 12 post out of the spotlight the lean tempo decks push combo aside the the lean tempo decks will prey on each other someone will get the idea to go a little bigger with an uro and around and around we go and uh that i i think that's healthy like that's not a problem none of this is a problem i don't mind legacy being bogged down in a mid-range war because it's so exploitable if you just want to take the effort i agree with you that legacy feels uh really cylindrical right now and i don't want to turn this into a bigger metagame discussion because our next episode we're going to be wrapping up 2020 and talk about some of this stuff but i will agree with you that i do like how the format's been rotating yeah um i think a lot of people are really down on how mid-rangey it is right now there's kind of a a blur um i forget who was talking about this but someone was talking about like hey legacy feels healthy and then there's this asterisk like as long as you consider the like different oko uro decks as being different or as long as you consider these different astrolabe decks as being different um because there is a, a certain portion of the the metagame like a good chunk of it right now that is just kind of blue mush as these decks 
try to out mid-range each other. And right now, with the like overall quality of the 2019-2020 printings, um, sometimes it just feels like you're seeing the same stuff just so, so frequently. I love the uh, bias that is sometimes incorporated into that, like the Astrolabe decks. We're not calling them Ponder decks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Ponder's been around forever. All these decks play Ponder. Like, they're not, like, sometimes people say Brainstorm decks, but, like, Brian and I both play Brainstorm decks. They're not exactly the same. Uh, like, I think that if these cards were printed, like, if Astrolabe, let's say, was printed in 2012, I don't think we'd be talking about it. Do you want to use your true name example? That was you, right? Uh, uh, it, it was it was Patrick Sullivan, but he's very smart, and I say this all the time. Um. When True Name Nemesis was printed in 2013 and everyone was had their pitchforks out saying that Wizards ruined Legacy, how could they consider such a busted card in the format? Patrick Sullivan said, what if that was in Tempest and Wasteland was in a Commander product this year? Like, think about what we're used to and if it's actually, like, good or reasonable or if we're just used to it. Like, the, the, the Popper format has a similar thing going on, like, uh... I don't want to tangent too hard right as we're wrapping up here, but I'm fucking gonna because that's what we do. <laughs> the, so uh, Popper is pretty unhealthy right now. Uh, th- there was a new three mana removal spell in blue printed in Commander Legends that has the Monarch attached to it. It's like a fall from favor. It's like a, a sleep with uh, with the Monarch attached. And that card is uh, ruining popper because i've seen screenshots of like the same ninja of the deep hours with four of that card on it because it's just so desperate to get the monarch you just like re-enchant one because it's the only creature like that looks bad does that card allow to untap after i thought it permanently tapped it is it just one turn yeah 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 no no it's forever but like if if, like i monarch your knight of the ninja of the deep hours and i'm the monarch and you have fall from favor but that's the only creature uh, in play. I see. You have to aura your own guy, and then I hit it again to take the monarch back. And like, it's just so stupid. But like, people complain in Popper about like fall from favor. They complained about Arkham's Astrolabe. They complained about all sorts of stuff. But they've been playing with Tron lands since the format was born. Like somehow, that's like, oh no, Tron is a pillar. We have to leave it alone. But the most busted deck is always a fucking Tron deck. Like we talk about mid range wars, like. Whatever shell is break is is the best in popper. Someone will put it into a Tron shell and make it better. Uh, like uh, blue red monarch was or, or uh, red white monarch was the best deck for a while back when the popper Premier League was running. So I played white red Tronarch in the league and I fucking crushed it. I just like farmed my week when I played uh, white red Tronarch because it was just the same deck, but I could have seven mana on turn three. Uh, so like getting used to stuff that is bullshit versus like overreacting to something that might be fine like just like the opposition agent freak out even the hull breacher freak outs it's like this is a format where we have wasteland and show and tell and you're mad about opposition agent i just settle your shit all right this is probably a great point to wrap things up and we just showed that you can apply the same sort of things that we're talking about today with going a little bit to bigger to formats outside of of just legacy so this isn't just a you know one format one trick pony episode you know you can take this same theory and apply it elsewhere do either of you have any closing thoughts here nope i I just ranted good and hard to end the episode all right well let's go ahead and call it here 
I hope you all enjoyed, and we'll see you again. Well, you'll listen to us again, rather, in two weeks. Bye-bye.